we have finally gotten to Holy Week. So we've walked through the wilderness, uh, waiting, looking for God, uh, longing for a promised land, longing for uh, the hope of Easter. And one of the things that I think is fascinating as we read through these stories is like obviously the cross, you know, Monday, Thursday, and Jesus' Last Supper. All these moments are so like essential and pivotal in our Christian tradition. And we always try to stress Jesus as both God and man, both, both divine and human. And, and sometimes we always like start leaning one direction of what we focus on or emphasize. And, and I find that when we get to Good Friday, it's easy to make that story be Jesus the superhero who you can't ever be like. That he's so powerful, he's so faithful that there's not even a point of trying to look like that. There's not a point of trying to live up to that kind of faithfulness. It's like, how could anyone ever do this thing? And so we, we lift Jesus up uh, and praise him, but then we think, who are we to ever try to follow along with Jesus? And so we wonder, you know, is faithfulness our story or is it just Jesus's story? Is it just God's story that God's story is just continually always being faithful and us always messing it up? Or can we actually be faithful to our callings, faithful to our God, faithful to the one who redeemed us? And so uh, today we're talking about what is it to be faithful? What is it to be faithful like Christ? Uh, because faithfulness is not a great gauge when you're on like the best high of highs. Like faithfulness is best measured when things are tough, when the hard times come, then how faithful are we? Uh, there's a reason why when we do wedding vows that we talk about better for better for worse, for richer for poorer, in sickness and in health. Because most people can cruise through faithfulness in the best days, but can we call ourselves to a faithfulness even in the worst days? And when we get through Holy Week, obviously like Good Friday, that Saturday, those were some of the worst days in the lives of those disciples in Jesus' ministry time of like everything looks like it's falling apart. You're being embarrassed. People are trying to shame you. And that's the gauge of have I gotten to a place where I can be faithful? How loyal am I? How much allegiance do I have to God? And so it's no wonder why a lot of non-Christians kind of quibble about, well, you know, I kind of like Jesus, but I've never seen any Christians who ever looked like him, right? That's the, the common refrain of, well, you know, I just, it doesn't, I don't see it in the world. And it is the challenge for us. What is it to see this week, to see what Jesus does for us, and not just hold it out at a distance, but say, I am going to come to where you are, Father. I'm going to come to you, Jesus, and we're going to walk faithfully together. That's why there's a beauty in celebrating Holy Week, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Easter Sunday, every single year to help prepare our hearts, prepare our spirits each year to try to walk that journey with God and with Jesus. And so when we started today's service, we, we read from Matthew 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, we also read Matthew 26, being tempted in the garden. Do I keep on this path? And it's no wonder that the beginning and the ends of your ministry might be some of the hardest moments. It's hard to get inertia moving. You know, like 
inertia you wants to just stay as it is. But it's hard to get that momentum. And so starting off is always hard. And then once there's the momentum, it's hard to change and to do something different, to, to stop something. And so it's in both of those moments that we see Jesus being tempted. And there's some beauty of how Jesus responds to those temptations. I want to point out, Jesus, when he was tempted the first time in the beginning in Matthew 4, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a fun plan for my next week or two, or for 40 days. God said, hey, I want to send you out into a barren wasteland where no one's there, you're not going to eat anything, and you're going to be tempted. Uh, Not too many people willingly take that journey. But Jesus walks out into the wilderness for 40 days, for 40 nights, and it says he was famished. I just love that word. Uh, When you're just so hungry, just give me anything. That's where like your taste buds don't care anymore. To say, I know I don't normally eat this thing, but I will scarf it down right now. He's famished. And it's in that moment that the tempter comes to him when he's famished and alone. And it's easy to be tempted when you're alone. It's one thing when you've got all the people around you. How trustworthy am I? How loving am I? How compassionate am I? But once you get alone and you don't think anybody might see you, How do you respond? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't know about you, but I I feel like I've heard that story most often about, like, things aren't just about food. Right? That there's there's spiritual truth. Don't worry about food. Um, There's a food that's spiritual that matters more than the physical food. But I think there's actually something much more interesting and more more powerful happening here. Uh, I don't know if you remember what story happens in the Gospels right before the temptation story. Uh, In in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he gets tempted. But before that story is the baptism story of Jesus. And at the baptism, you get a voice from God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased, right? This is my son. And here you have the tempter who walks up to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God. There's a reason these stories are next to each other. The voice from God says, you are my son. The tempter says, if you're the son of God, prove it. Right? Do you actually think you're the son of God? Can you prove it to me that you're the son of God? If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And it's a good temptation because you're hungry. But the temptation has nothing to do ultimately about food. It's can I trust who God says I am? Can I trust the voice from heaven? And do I have to, do I have to test it? Say, hey, you know what? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Doesn't that make that so much more powerful? The voice from heaven that says, you are my son. Hey, we don't live by bread alone. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he he withstands that temptation. The next temptation, he takes him up onto a high place and says, if you are the son of God, again, prove it. If you're the son of God, then basically jump. Because, you know, there's that scripture that says that, that God won't let the chosen one be harmed, right? Like the angels will go protect you. They won't let you hit the ground. So if you are the son of God, just prove it. Just jump, because then we'll see it. No, 
not going to do it. He gives them one more temptation, takes them up on the mountain. Says, All of the kingdoms of the earth, they're yours. Just worship me. And so no longer are you just questioning identity and, and can I trust in my identity, but will I be willing to turn my allegiance, my loyalty over to someone else at the offer of power, of, of primary, like power right now that's visible, that everybody can see? Uh, but Jesus resists the devil in that story. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test and worship the Lord your God alone and serve only him. That story is beautiful on its own, but Jesus' temptation doesn't stop there. It's not like he had one moment of temptation and then it's gone. That moment feels like the kind of temptation we're used to. You're hungry. You're not in your right state of mind. You didn't have your coffee, whatever it is. But when we get to Gethsemane, Jesus isn't alone anymore. He's not in a desert. He has ate recently. He just ate with his disciples. He's got groups of, of followers. And he's saying, though, I, I need you to know you're going to desert me. No, Jesus. We would die before that happens. And all of them said it. I love that note. Everybody, like Peter's the first one to jump in at it. No, God, no. Uh, Jesus, we will not desert you. And then everyone else is like, yeah, uh, us too. Count me in on that. And so Jesus goes to a garden and he prays because he knows what's ahead of him. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows the path that can lead to violence, execution, uh, people trying to shame you. And in that, he's just like, can I have somebody be with me for that? You know that feeling of this is unbearable, but maybe if I could just have some close friends, some family, somebody support me. I won't feel so alone. And in this moment, he, he brings his disciples, but then he brings even like a smaller group of them, the three, uh, the sons of Zebedee and Peter, and he says, hey, stay with me, pray for me. And he goes and he prays, and he's, he's struggling with, I want to do your will. And, and then he comes back, and they've fallen asleep on the job. I think everyone is guilty at some point in your life, probably, if you've, if you've been in church life, you've said you were going to pray for somebody, and then you kind of forgot about it. Didn't, didn't remember. And so Peter and James and John kind of forgot about it, fell asleep. Say, hey, you can't stay awake for an hour. Please just pray for me. He goes away. God, if there's any other path, I want to be faithful, though. No matter what you decide, I will do it. And he's struggling, and he wants to be faithful, and he goes back to his disciples, and they're asleep again. Talked about how heavy their eyes are. Uh, as someone who has a struggle going to sleep as opposed to falling asleep really easily. I, I know what it is to look around at others who are fading as the shows or movies or, or whatever's going on. And the disciples, they just can't keep their eyes open, right? And so Jesus goes away, prays again. He doesn't even do the same like conversation with them. He's just like, man, they're, they're out. <laughs> they're not going to stay awake and pray for me. Uh, he's just, he, he goes, prays it again. God, please be Give me another option. Please, let there be another cup. Let there be another path. Do we have to go this route? And it's the midst of the hardest times that your faithfulness is really demonstrated. Still, yet, God, what you want, your will, at the end of the day. And so Jesus, 
stays faithful. And there's a, a temptation to see this story as God as being super violent, needing a lot of retribution, needing a lot of violence and blood. And so we see like, man, Jesus is just wanting some other possibility. Man, God must seem really harsh. Like, why does God force him down this road? But the Gospels are very clear that, you know, it's, it's the people in the story who want blood. It's always the people who want to take out violence on each other, who want to stone uh, the, the martyrs, who want to crucify Jesus. But every time we get what's God's emotion, what's God's reasoning, what's God's thought process, God is always loving and continuing to love the people who keep not showing up, who keep deserting him, who keep nailing Jesus to the cross or stoning prophets. That in the face of our unfaithfulness, God continues to love. One of the most famous verses, for God so loved the world. Uh, every time I say that, I always want to say, like, people seem like they imply that God so hated the world, um, but God so loved the world that he sent his son. And I love in 1 John, he says it this way, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The beauty of the faithfulness struggle is even though we keep letting God down, God still keeps opening God's arms up, still is the father of the prodigal son saying, hey, run home to me. Jesus lives his life with his arms out. He dies with his arms out. He's raised with his arms out because he keeps loving even when we fail. And so it's to the beauty of the gospel author of John who says, no greater love is there than this, than to lay down one's life for your friends. And so Jesus models and lives out that perfect love that in the midst of your friends completely failing you, everyone you thought they'd be there for you, they told you they'd be there for you, they fall asleep, they're not there. Uh, the, the women in the story are the great heroes of showing up. All the, the men that get a lot of names don't show up that much at the, the cross and all of those uh, pivotal scenes there at the end. But Jesus shows that love stays faithful even in the face of violence, even in the face of persecution. And we know that that love, thankfully and hopefully, is not ended in violence and death, but love endures all of those things. From the author Paul, who has a lot to say, a lot of beautiful things to say about love. Uh, hear this thing about Easter hope. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, but we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. End quote. No, in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else at all in all of creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the beauty of God's faithfulness and Christ's faithfulness is that no matter what we throw at it, no matter what we try to reject, God's love still remains. Hope remains. And this story of faithfulness, again, is not just Jesus' story. It is our story. So for any and all of us who have had those days where we've fallen asleep on the job, where we ran the other way and deserted God, deserted friends, deserted family, whatever we've done that has caused harm, God remains faithful, open arms, follow me. And so Jesus offers that love to us and then invites us to offer that love to those around us. That's actually how we got the name Mondi Thursday. Uh, the Latin word for like mandate, commandment, uh, Mondi. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What a beautiful invitation. He says, Love one another, just as I have loved you, and you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And so Jesus invites the disciples and invites all of us to walk with him. Take up your cross and follow me. But Jesus' faithfulness is not meant to be one and done, in the sense of he's the only one that ever had to be faithful. He invites us to be faithful and extend God's love to those around us. And so I hope that no matter how much anger or hate or jealousy or greed or whatever you've experienced in the world, however people have harmed you or or disregarded you, that you love. Because God loves you. So we should love each other. And so in the midst of whatever doubts, whatever struggles, can we be faithful? Can we be faithful to the one who loves us? And the hope that we rest on, ending with the psalmist, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God's love for you endures no matter what you've done. May our love also endure the world around us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we praise you, we thank you, for your supreme goodness, your love, your mercy. Uh, Lord, your love on our best day and on our worst day. We thank you so much. Lord, I ask that you would turn all of our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our spirits, our hands, our feet, all of our being to, to follow after you. That we would seek to follow you faithfully. And that we can do that every day. Lord, give us Uh, a spirit that is aware of how to love our neighbors, how to love our our family, our friends, the strangers among us. Lord, let love be what shines out in our lives. And Lord, when things get difficult, when they get tough, and it's hard to be faithful, Lord, I, I ask that you would help our prayers be the prayer that you taught us. That our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.